0: I think it's no surprise that I sort of came out of Game of Thrones and had a kind of a breakdown where it all got too much and had my, my rock-bottom moment. I was playing a character who was, in, who was the epitome of goodness and honesty and truth. And in my life, I didn't feel like that at all. I sort of collapsed and told people around me what was going on, then finally took some action. I went to a, a rehab in, in America. When I was at rehab, I was they identified I Me mean, is being
1: ADD. How do you find being a dad? I think I'm a good dad because I'm sober. Today's guest is a loving father, but a pretty talented actor, and my bromance buddy. He also happens to be ADHD, born Christopher, and nicknamed Kit, or to some of you, the king in the north. Having Kit join us was an absolute privilege. We chat about how his brain works, his struggles with addiction, and some of his decompression tricks. Let's get into it. Let's see how great minds think differently. Kit, great to see you. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. I know you haven't done a podcast before. No, this is my first ever podcast. So this could be a
0: complete disaster. I've no idea what I'm doing. You've got a novice in the chair. There are no lines here, I guess. There's No. no script. I generally have less of a, a problem with that than some other actors. I quite like the sound of my own voice, um, even, though I don't, even though I do struggle with articulating what I
1: think at, at times. So I've, I've heard you say that acting's a, a bit like getting paid to show off. The, the lines get blurred, don't they?
0: Because you get paid as an actor to essentially to become a character and to entertain people. But then, as you quickly realise when you become an actor, if you have some success, there's all sorts of other stuff you get paid for, which you never really kind of, which you never really signed off on. How do you deal with that? In the past, I haven't dealt with it very well. Um, I sort of, uh, I I kind of didn't, I didn't, I kind of have a great affection now towards uh, young actors that I see in press and publicity who have, you know, landed in a kind of hit show or whatever, and and they're kind of doing the rounds of magazine shoots and the dreaded sort of print interviews and things. Because I can you can almost see in those photos the anxiety on their faces. Okay. <laughs> Trying to look really cool, but behind the eyes is just utter terror. And that's kind of how I felt when I was, when I was doing all when I got caught up in all of that. In my, in my 20s, of like trying to project this image of utter sophistication and coolness about what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely being, being sort of
1: terrified about everything. I guess, what did you do with that fear? Like, how do you cope with that? How do you get better at dealing with that? I'd, I mean,
0: I had coping mechanisms, which I'm sure we'll talk about, which weren't very healthy. I love the past. I love that everything that I've, the, the life I've had, it's been in, incredible and very fascinating and interesting going through a kind of journey that I did relatively young. You do find that you, you're caught up in something that, that is, that is in control of you. Yeah. Um, and now I'm a bit, I'm a bit older now. I'm kind of in my mid thirties. A bit wiser. bit wiser. Got kids. Yes. Um, And I sort of have a bit of perspective on it all, I think. I mean, I can feel my 45-year-old self screaming at me. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Whereas when I was in that process of, I don't know, something like this every seemingly every other day, some interview, some photo shoot, something, I couldn't really see outside of that box, whereas now I I feel like I can a bit.
1: I presume you had... You had no idea what Game of Thrones was going to become or what you were kind of signing up for in terms of what sounds like that hamster wheel kind of, wow, oh my God, this is happening again. Oh, okay.
0: I think I did. Okay. I knew I've been asked that a number of times yep. over my career, like, well, did you know what you're getting? No, yeah. I had no idea. Whereas my 21-year-old self, who's getting into that, thought, yes, this is going to be the biggest show on earth and I am going to be a massive star in it <laughs> because I was 21 and I was yes. full of beans yes. I was like yeah yeah, I'm I'm the big dog I, yep. of course this is going to work out and amazingly it did but now looking back I was I was sort of like yeah that was that was kind of a one in a billion chance that that thing worked yep. and it did yeah
1: why do you think you and acting make sense
0: well I think it really like everything it kind of boils down to to nurture which is that I I was a second child and I wanted my mum's attention. Mm-hmm. And my mum was a was a playwright and very creative and I wanted to do everything mum did. I think to try and get her attention. And I think naturally in, inside myself I was a bit of a show off. Um Maybe there's a nicer word for show off. Um Were you confident? I think I was quite a confident kid, yeah. yeah. But but wrapped up in a whole load of 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 um uh neuroses. So nice. I think I enjoyed attention.
1: Mm.
0: So naturally when I was in high school and got up on stage for the first time and everyone went <laughs> I was like, This is great. I'll do more of this. Yeah. And um and also found that I really I really enjoyed it. I don't think it was initially about wanting to be someone else or take on a character or... I think it was a, the enjoyment of the hit. You know, like the rush of the nerves of getting up on stage, of people looking at you, people applauding, people appreciating something in a very kind of vocal and palpable way was a very kind of addictive and... um
1: uh, fascinating sort of experience for a, for a young for a young person. So then, how does that feel? I guess when you do a film or a TV show where you're not on stage, it's not live. There isn't that instant gratification, as it were.
0: Well, I got into acting for the love of the live experience, I guess, and and theatre, and that's where I started. And I went to drama school in the UK, which is very much um, angled towards that. Uh, so you then you if you're supremely lucky, you find as an actor you find most of your work comes from film, where everyone's deadly silent, and uh, and things move on, and there's no real, there's not a huge amount of um, pats on the back. I think the, di- the yeah the difference is that I then got into a bad habit, which I still kind of have of looking for the the applaud afterwards, like. Uh, when the film comes out, searching for how is it received? You know, did people like it? What are they saying about me? Yeah. Um, and that is a is a dangerous rabbit hole to fall down because inevitably you find all of the bad stuff that um, people are saying as well
1: as the nice stuff. What's the best thing that you remember that someone said about a performance of yours? And what's the worst thing? Oh, gee, I, I seem to have blissfully
0: tuned out specifics I think some actors do memorise their worst review but I can't it's maybe a good sign that I can't think of what that is I can't also think of what the nicest thing (laughs) is anyone's ever said I tell you what I have always hated is that I've always uh, I've always hated when sometimes even seemingly when I've got a good review of something I've got to stop reading them it is sort of like cloaked in something about my uh, appearance, I think. Okay. Like Game of Thrones, hunk,
1: Kit Harrington.
0: Oh, for fuck's sake. So, so demeaning.
1: <laughs> I remember when someone said Seedlip tasted like witches' piss. That was a real, <laughs> that was a real highlight. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. So you do remember them?
1: I remember the bad ones. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I remember the bad ones because they they kind of keep me grounded, I guess, in a sense of kind of going, oh, the people that said it'll never sell a bottle and yeah. that it was the worst idea ever and that I was completely deluded. Not in a, I mean, I'm pretty competitive, but not in a like, hey, ha, 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 told you so, proved you wrong. More just in a, I don't know, it's easy on a totally different scale totally different level to you but to yeah just sort of drink the Kool-Aid and kind
0: do of Do you find do you take that personally because like obviously as an actor like when you you get a review it it feels very personal because it's it's you playing a character but it's also you it's a part of you do you feel that about Seedlip for example that it's part of you and therefore if you're insulting that then it's a, like a personal slight
1: yes and no i think i built i built a pretty thick skin early on because I needed to because there were as many people who thought oh this is genius this is amazing this is going to change drinking etc there were also the extremes on the other side of the witch's piss and and the people who just didn't think that it's witch's piss witch's piss
0: sometimes you have to hold your hands up and go it's quite a good
1: it's quite yeah. a good one I I don't know I think yeah building a bit of a thick skin to try and separate out what seed lip or i guess maybe in your case separating out the play or the film or the show as a whole versus your individual character do you get into your characters i i'm
0: very british in my approach to acting which is that i have a very clear line between i think between character and me you know which is i don't i don't live in them i kind of approach like that side of things of the actual practicality of getting down to my work I'm at the moment finding quite tricky I think because I've got that I've got multiple things going on and I'm terrible so I've got kids at home mm-hmm. and I, I can't separate seemingly at the moment my work and my home life I find it very difficult to do that so I'll go into a room and I'll start prepping the movie that I'm about to do and trying to learn the lines and i hear something from the other room and before I know it, I'm caught up in the family stuff. And then before I know it, the whole day's gone. I haven't learned a single line or, or I haven't done any uh, um, preparatory preparatory work. Um, you know, so I... I um, at the moment, I'm, I'm trying to juggle this new life of being a dad of two alongside what has to be as an actor quite intensive uh, work on your own to get ready for a job and its I won't lie, it's not going very well I don't multitask well I have to be on one one thing Um, and, and more than that if there's more than one thing going on in my head I get overwhelmed I get incredibly fretty, anxious and then I have to go take a shower
1: I've I take, literally have to go. But a up. Showers a reset for you.
0: Yeah, I go up. I take a shower, I get in a different set of clothes, okay. and I and I go and I go and try again. Rose will say, "Just go take a shower because <laughs> I'm because <laughs> I'm all over the shop in
1: my head at whatever point in the day." Yeah, yeah. It, at any point in the day, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how did you know? How have you discovered that that works? It's something about
0: starting the day again. Okay. It's like okay, at any point I can start the day again. This has all got on top of me. My head's all over the shop. I'm I'm in three different places at once. I can't deal with it. I go into a sort of freeze mode. I go like that. At which point Rose says to go and take a shower. And I go, okay. Because it, it, it's sort of like my brain short circuits. Yep. Because um, I, I, it, it sort of, I don't know how to explain it, sort of get, get overwhelmed
1: by it all. Is that overwhelming feeling because there's, too much going on or it's the pressure of one of those things that is happening or what is that i'm not good at deli- um, uh delineating wow you're getting some good words in here mate
0: preparatory uh, saying all the great words wrong um delineate it. i'm not very good at like separating off things
1: but you're great at separating your character from yourself
0: yeah, because that's one job. Okay, that's in it's... that box.
1: Yep. The only
0: example I've got where I got confused between character and me, in a very and it was only for a long period of time. I think was with the Jon Snow stuff because I was playing a character who was in who was the epitome of goodness and honesty and truth, and in my life I didn't feel like that at all.
1: Okay.
0: People would treat me like the character who was. Hero and good, but in my life personally, I didn't feel like that at all, and that I think had some kind of um, uh, a bit of psychological kind of scarring.
1: And what was going on that you felt like this?
0: Well, I mean, I was drink, I was drinking a lot, effectively. Like I, I was sort of um, going through addiction and everything that entails, and and hiding things and all all sorts, and and so that was the polar opposite of the character I was playing, who couldn't tell a lie. Okay. Who was goodness personified, who was honesty. And me, Kit, was not not that. Um, But I was treated like that because that's who people perceived me to be. Yeah. Which you can see how that would kind of... Yeah. You know. Do people think you're Jon Snow? Yeah, of course they do. (laughs) And they're really, and they're totally disappointed when you're not. So... Every interaction you have, is, there's the, the kind of, you know, the disappointment just <laughs> shows in their face immediately the minute you start talking. Like, oh, because as
1: soon as you're acting yeah, you're
0: consistently letting people down.
1: <laughs> but then, ironically, it sounds like you felt like you were letting yourself down or letting other people down. Yeah. Struggling in your personal life.
0: Yes. Yeah. And it, and it, I think it's no surprise that I sort of came out of Game of Thrones and had a kind of a breakdown where it all got too much and had my my rock bottom moment. Um, when I was I was playing on stage at the time, I was playing an alcoholic. Okay. So so talk, I mean, wow. actually, character and me did get very mixed up at that point in my life. I was very proud of that play um, and the character I I I
1: built. But during that time i didn't, I didn't know who i who I was really. you were playing an alcoholic and also stopping drinking no no continually drinking while okay. playing an alcoholic it okay. was at its worst okay you know,
0: so it was at that during that play that I sort of collapsed and told people around me what was going on, and then finally took some action um to to address it what did you do oh well i went to a, a rehab in in america and i tried i tried going to rehab once before four mm-hmm. years earlier and kind of entered the rehab drunk sobered up in there and went oh fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> oh no not you Exit guys in the circle left. oh no no thank you and 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 i left that pretty quick and said i'll i'll try and deal with this by myself which didn't work after about four years. It kind of it, it it kind of crumbled as it does. So this time I was sort of ready and went to rehab in in America, and took it. I guess took it seriously. Realised that my sort of life was hinging on this. My mum used to say like you you held a you held a glass like it was the most important thing in the room, and and that that's a hard thing to let go of. Ended up going over there and. um And luckily this time it was the the right place at the right time and managed to kind of forge a new life from there, really.
1: Yeah, congrats. Thanks, man. Yeah, Yeah. it's a a brave thing to confront yourself, right? Mm. Um, And I guess mm, do the work to understand yourself. Yeah. What did you learn coming out of that? Do you know what I learned, which is
0: the, the most positive thing I kind of have learned is that I'm much better at being me than I thought I was. And maybe that goes back to the start of our conversation about, actually, maybe there is more in me that wanted to be an actor because I didn't want to be myself. Mm I was very socially anxious. Um,
1: Are you still socially anxious?
0: I am, but I know how to deal with it now. Okay. Um, And I think I project some confidence, but I'm I'm walking into a room, uh, a party or whatever, when I was younger. You know, I remember in my, like, sort of drama school days, I'd be at a party, and even with the alcohol, I would find myself walking out of the room, going and finding a cupboard, and standing in the cupboard and okay. just breathing, or yep. hiding under a bed. Yep. I remember my girlfriend at the time finding me hiding under a bed, and like, what are you doing? And I was like, I couldn't... It, it's that short-circuiting thing. It's that like, frozen... A, that frozen freeze moment. Um, and so, of course, alcohol was like my go-to. It's the only thing that was kind of helping. It was the only thing that meant that I could function socially. Um, the, trouble, the trouble was that then I, you know, I, it wasn't just socially, it was alone. Mm. You know, I loved nothing more than drinking alone because it took me out of myself, took me out of that headspace, took me out of that anxiety instantly. It was the one thing that could do that. Yeah. So what I learned from rehab and the process of getting sober which to really kind of uh, get a kind of handle on took about a year okay of a solid work was that actually a much better as a sober person socially now i know how to deal with it than i than i ever i ever kind of thought i was are you a sociable person i have always been a social person but I, I just, um, the anxiety surrounding a conversation felt like the end of the world if there was a silence. Okay. Like, it, it had the same effect of me as if someone was saying there's a nuclear bomb heading to London. Like, it would be like, if there was a silence, an uncomfortable silence, then it, it was awful. So you, I had so you felt you needed to fill it yes yeah, so I had to fill it and to fill it I had to or to fill any of those little silences I had to drink it, the, the similar thing I how think, are you with silences now? much better should we have a bit of silence? yeah great. how do you feel? But this is a planned silence <laughs> so it doesn't count i on like this is like a meditation there's not many rules around the silence <laughs> it's, it's more that my kind of anxiety around things would be like, say that it would say we're in a restaurant and you're speaking a bit loudly. I get incredibly anxious for the table over there that we're disrupting. I'm their, so with you. Do you know the thing? I'm so with I'm like, you. If my table's making too much noise, yeah. I'm like, it, it, but we're disrupting the other people's yes. experience. And so, could you be? And so that sort of thing would would get to me. Or if there was the opposite, so our table suddenly descended into a silence.
1: Yeah.
0: I immediately am up out of there, straight to the loo, breathing. Or when I used to smoke, outside, fag. And that's why I was—I got so hooked on cigarettes as well. Yeah. They were the perfect escape to leave, you know, leave a room, totally have a cigarette, you know, then I can reset, come back in. It's the same as the shower. Reset, come back into the room, Okay. But right. the,
1: but the thing is that I guess what's common to all of that is that you take some action, right? Yeah. So it's doing it's it's not think trying to think your way out of it. Yeah. It's even not even talking your way out of it. It's actually like physically I have to go and do something. Yes. Yeah. Or or and that is the release in whatever way.
0: Which I think is you know I've always had this um, this restlessness you know, I, I got I got to this podcast about forty five minutes early. I was here like half an hour earlier than you. <laughs> Just sat there I while everyone set up because I I like I woke up at home. I paced the kitchen, having way too much coffee, um, and then realized it, you know okay it's it's you know we're meant to be here at what half nine or something. Or yep. something. it's it's half eight. You know, I know in my head it's only a ten minute taxi drive but I'm like what if the traffic's worse I mean so I'm here really
1: early that's all my kind of restlessness but it's the anxiety right I get the anxiety around noise is a big one for me regardless of whether it's a restaurant table or sitting down eating or the kids or whatever um yeah and I'm fully aware of what the other table's doing yeah or thinking or maybe I think I know what they're thinking
0: it's the thing about not just being in, you know, this is nice because it's just you and me here. Yep. You know, there's those guys over there. Yeah. But like, it's just you and me. Whereas the minute we're in a room with other people, my head is everywhere in the room with that table over there, those people. I'm not just, I find it very, I have to really train myself to be with this person, this, this time and space. I think that's made me in some ways quite good at it because i force myself to be. Because my head wants to go to every other thing in
1: the room at once, I think. It's why I, I, like I don't have loads, I'm really conscious of not looking at you and looking, looking at my, my card because I'm thinking, oh, Kit will think I'm not listening to him if I don't look at him.
0: (laughs) But you're very good, you're very good, I've always noticed this but you, you're very good at eye contact and connecting. You're very, uh, intense might be a, I
1: hope you don't mind that word but you're quite an intense person you're in yeah I'm firmly in our conversation yeah and I have trained I like looking at you I don't really want to look at you in some Mm. ways though because it's I'm I'm happier looking off but I think I've learned or trained myself to be like the respectful thing for you to feel like I care about what you're saying and this conversation is to look at you.
0: Yeah, you've done the opposite thing of what is comfortable for you,
1: as a as a reaction
0: to that. You're like, no, I must yes. work against the thing that I naturally. Yeah, I'm probably more
1: comfortable doing. Let's let's talk a bit about parenting. Mm. We're both dads. Mm. Um, you've got two. I've got three. They're all young. How do you find being a dad?
0: I'm I'm learning quick, fast. About parenting. You know, my, my boy's two and, a, two and a half, coming up to three, really. And my little girl is now four months. So I'm a very young parent and they're very young kids. And so I'm learning like he is. So like one day, I, I'll, my, my tendency at the moment, I'm realizing, is to kind of to wind him up like a little clock. Like, to so he's very excitable. So get him really wound up and then set him off. Yeah. And I'm realizing that might not be very healthy. Just for of, bedtime. Just for bedtime, you know, like, because it gets me excited. So yes. I'm, so I'm trying to pull back on that and at the same time, not make him feel like fun daddy is gone. Um, I, I think that, I think I'm a good dad. I, I think so far. I think I'm a good dad because I'm sober. I'm present, I'm there, you know, parenting is tough. There are days you wake up and you're like, okay, right, it's the weekend. It's not a nursery, it's going to be full on. But as a result of not waking up in a blur, I am there and ready for it. I'm very, very grateful that I got sober before being a parent. What do you like when he hurts himself? I'm, I'm all over him, like a rash. You know, like I'm down down on his level, hugs, kissing him, you know. I might, that's the thing I'm looking at at the moment as well, not to overthink things, but am I love bombing him too much? Am I like smothering him? You know, I think...
1: It's hard, isn't it, to like...
0: There's a lot like, of pressure on parenting now. I want like, tell
1: him I love him all the time.
0: With, a, with the awareness of, of, of what we can and do do to our children, which... I think our parents had less of you're constantly thinking am I doing this bit wrong am I doing this bit wrong am I harming him this way was that a trauma like and I think part of it for our generation is actually pulling back from that a little bit not overthinking things too much not trying to raise them by the book too much yep like being yourself as well as knowing that there is such thing as love bombing them or um, or or kind of Uh, rejecting them or whatever it is trying to be a kind of gentle parent um, whilst also having some discipline and rules and boundaries like all of these things need to be taken into account but then at the same time you have to be you you can't be this kind of manufactured
1: parent yes the book parent yeah yeah how do you find or let me start another way I, I the anxiety I get when I've got all three of them and it's only me yeah, uh, and I do it, and I'm and I'm on it, and I'm good, and I keep everybody as happy as I can, and everyone's fed, water, everything's got, yeah. everyone's got what they need, but my God, I am exhausted, and yeah, just so anxious, yeah, from yeah. start to finish, yeah. How do you find it when it's just you with the two of them? it's i think it's 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 a lot
0: right so i feel all i feel that anxiety that you did, you just described where parents get into trouble is if they try and hold on to their old lives in some way i think you have to jump into it two feet first and go this is my life these are the. this is the new thing I've created and I'm gonna leap into that exhaustion yeah as much as I can yeah like I'm gonna just embrace it embrace it and go for it because if you resist it it's more tiring in some ways and just know that your life now is they go to bed you have dinner and go to bed like that's what I do I like me and Rose have dinner and they're like, do you want to watch something? I'm like, no. And it's straight, you know, straight to bed. We have a natter in bed and that's it. Yep. Good night. Start again the next day. I think the resentment of being a parent would come if you held on to um, the life of a person without kids. You are a person with kids now. You have to kind of embrace it.
1: Which is great. You say you, that's not a bad thing, right? You're a person with kids. It's it's a great thing, but it's... It, yeah, it's a responsibility that sometimes I definitely don't feel grown up enough for. I
0: sometimes don't
1: feel creative enough for it. Okay. So I'm in the garden
0: with him. He's got this incredible imagination. And he's like making a stick is a dragon or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm like, should we just collect some sticks for the fire? <laughs> like I my am I'm I'm like amazed by his imagination and, and, and also kind of upset that mine is gone yeah like how did you like and I sometimes feel like I fall down as a parent on that level like I should be more on his I should let him lead me through his wonderful yeah, world step and into imagination his world rather than my, pro- my problem can be that I kind of take control no let's go and do this I have this anxiety as well Um. so this is a big one I don't know if you have this that we're all having fun. It's a fun time. We're, we're having a good time. This is fun. The thing's over. We need to move on to the next <laughs> yes, thing.
1: Yes.
0: Not enjoy. He just wants to enjoy the joke again and again and again. And I'm like, no, it's getting awkward now. This joke is over. We need to move. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> I move it on. I move it on because I'm restless. I'm like, what's the next thing? <laughs> yes. we've, we've done the dragon stick thing. Now we need to do, do the next else. thing. Yeah. You know, whereas he's quite content for hours doing the same thing stick dragon yep <laughs> yeah. like but I'm, but I'm like no
1: this is getting awkward it's not getting awkward it's my kid <laughs> yeah, like but exactly. it, <laughs> I'm lo- I'm sorry I'm, lo- I'm laughing because it, it it rings so true yeah yeah um yeah they just they don't mind going over and over again mm. uh <laughs> whereas my wife says sometimes I'm, I, I go into Sergeant Major mode. She calls it, you yeah. know, like right? nope, it's enough of that. Now we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. Yeah, come on, let's move it. We need to move it along. Yes, to get some to get to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what that. I, I
0: I wish I had less of that, but I think that's to do with my anxiety as well, or like my my the way my brain works is is. No, we need to, you know get to whatever the next thing is otherwise the world's gonna uh, be destroyed you know but it is on that level i think sometimes like it's someone once explained to me about uh addiction which is that it taps into your your monkey brain so it says to you if you don't have a drink you're gonna die It, it, it creates the same thing as if you don't have water, you're going to die, which is genuine. If you don't have food, you're going to die. Yep. It taps into that bit of the brain, which says, if you don't have this glass of wine, you're going to die.
1: Catastrophe.
0: And I think sometimes there's other things that do that. Like if we don't, if that table over there doesn't quieten down, we're all going to die. If that, if that, you know, it's like it gets to that real basic element of your brain, which is in total fear of of, of something. I think
1: that's kind of what anxiety is. And then so when your brain's at its best, when you're, when you're in the zone and what, what, what's that like being in your head? What's that like? It doesn't last long. Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: Like I was in the zone this morning. I walked out of my house and I was like, it's a rainy day, but I'm really great. You know, just a, a natural piece of gratitude came to me, which is, that not it wonderful to be on this earth now, here, and then the other the other bit of my brain jumps in pretty quickly and goes yeah but what's you know so it's that constant it, i find when i'm in the zone the existential part of my brain goes yeah but there's no way up from here which is a horrible thought mm. but it it does that to me quite yeah. quickly of like well this is good but the only way is down like which is um, doesn't
1: get any better than this doesn't get better
0: than this i find that place of of um of being in my best place, a kind of scary place, okay i've heard other people say that before, but it's like it's like we're out, out on the on on in the park me my wife my i imagine it my now two kids mm. sort of and it 's a sunny day and it 's beautiful, and everyone 's having the most wonderful time and that it sort of almost gives me more anxiety than the other place because i 'm like doesn't get better than this yeah it's a kind of dark thought but yeah yeah i have to contend with that that's yeah. where, where my head goes and that's why i want to move it on to the next thing yes you know? <laughs> yes and presumably you want to keep it going yeah i think that's why i like drinking drinking kept it at a kind of solid place of of uh, that part of my brain got fulfilled a bit with the alcohol uh and now living in the present Dealing with my head can can be taxing in that in that way. If that makes any sense. So
1: that's when your head is good. Mm-hmm. What about when it's when you're at your worst? What, what's, what's I was it always, like inside I was, your called, head? I was
0: called in my household. I was called the Prince of Darkness. Okay. Because I can when I'm in a when I'm in a mood, which happens a lot less often mm-hmm. nowadays. Now I've done a bit of work on myself, I think. But when it happens, I can. Purely by being in that mood, bring the whole room down. Okay. I project this kind of dour de- depression. It Doesn't last long, thankfully, and and I'm very aware of it. And and the trouble is, I say to people, I just don't. Please don't talk to me right now. I'm I'm I'm. I just can't deal with anything. I just need to be in this and let it wash over me. But just by being in that state, the whole room kind of feels it. And I'm aware of that. And a little part of me kind of likes it, I think, that I'm having this effect. And so I have to be very aware that that's happening. Remove myself from the situation. Go through it. uh, Call people if I need to call them. Talk to people if I need to talk to them. Which I don't want to because I want to isolate in my head. And get, and, and move past it, like, try and sort of uh, not let it affect others too much is is the sort of, what, what I want to do is let everyone in the room know things are shit. Right. Yep. And everyone should know that I'm in a mood. Yes, okay. And everyone should feel it. Till you point your finger and I wanna, like that. Yeah, and I want to stay in it for as long as I want to stay in it. Okay. And but we've got to stay too. Yeah. 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 You've got to know that I'm okay. in a bad place. Okay. That's, that's what my parents used to call the Prince of Darkness. And okay. it never really went away after teenage years. <laughs> um, can we talk about labels? Yeah. You know, I find identifying as an addict and an alcoholic incredibly powerful. It's my first go-to place of not drinking uh is to kind of label myself as that and to know that. Yep. Right. So I can't deny the power of identifying and, and diagnosing something. I was also you know we've spoken about this I was also when I was at rehab I was they they identified me as being ADD. I think some people find it very empowering and um uh and useful to have that particular um, diagnosis label. Mm-hmm. For me, when I got to rehab and they went, you know, it's almost the first day there and they went, they went, look, we've assessed you and we think you're ADD. I was like, that's great, but how do I stop drinking? <laughs> like, priorities. Yeah, priorities here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's not, doesn't help me with, how do I not drink? Yes. I think yeah. it's, it's interesting in, now I'm able to look at myself a bit more because I'm not clouded in all of the stuff I was clouded in it's i can see a bit how my brain works which i can notice when i'm my brain's a bit maybe as they were referring to Mm. but the that particular uh whatever it was diagnosis you know for me it's not it's not nowhere near as important as being an alcoholic um because i think that helps me with my brain more i'm like Oh I know how I'm thinking right now because I'm an addict because i uh, I crave more mm. I have this restless anxiety mm-hmm. I have this um uh this 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 feeling of having one layer less of skin in the world this oversensitivity towards things that label of being an alcoholic is incredibly important to me um because it's changed everything uh And it's more than just not drinking now. Mm. It's about how I feel about the world, you know, uh, why I feel the way I feel, why I go into that, um, that kind of uh, Prince of Darkness kind of depression I talked about. So if you're talking about how we perceive people in,
1: as far as like labels,
0: yeah, it's really important
1: for me. Ultimately what I, hear from everything that you say and that you've said is you are more aware of how your brain works and how you are and how you react and how you deal with situations than you've ever been from a self-awareness perspective which sounds and you correct me if i'm wrong kit like previous to that you weren't i wasn't because number one i was i was young and i think people in their
0: 20s with all due respect, haven't lived enough life to kind of go through some certain moments where they learn about themselves. And number two, you can't learn about yourself properly if you are that befuddled by a substance Mm -hmm. such as alcohol. You can't step out of that, those layers of an onion, and and see yourself. You can't do the work if that's going on. Um, So now, having, you know, been sober a number of years... I really know myself more. I know the processes that are going on. I know that when I slip into a kind of depression, that it is temporary. It's incredibly important to know. People often talk about uh, change or getting to know oneself as an incredibly positive experience, which eventually it is. But it, it has painful to be hard won, <laughs> like painful first, like good, like good, permanent, well, hopefully permanent, solid change. Uh, takes takes a, pain, a painful experience I used to feel like this I used to feel like I used to attach when I was drinking the idea of a uh, leopard never changes its spots mm-hmm. and someone once told me oh a leopard does change its spots twice in its life and that meant everything to me I was like oh I can change it's going to take a momentous effort but I can change and, and that's kind of that's something I've sort of hung on to is that
1: that analogy yeah and we can't think the same way forever right it's Mm. we're not programmed or our brains aren't programmed in one way forever no switching gears we asked you uh, obviously for those for those listening um, you can't see our our kind of neuro spicy cabinet um, that we're sat here with but we asked you if you wanted to bring anything Mm. to put uh, on our little our little shelves. Um, did you bring us anything?
0: I did. I, and last night I was thinking, what the hell do I bring? Like, and I was on the phone to Rose actually and I said, I don't know what I'm going to bring in. And the first place I looked, I found exactly the right thing, which is this Harry Potter
1: Trivial Pursuit. Wonderful.
0: And the reason for this is that uh, I used to hate going to bed. I hated it. There was nothing more. I had no, How old
1: are we talking
0: here? Oh, every, every, from teenager to until okay. s- I got sober. Okay. And the reason I hated it was I hated lying down and dealing with my head, which would just be like, I call it a bag of rabbits. It would just be, con- be constant. Like, and, and, and I hated that feeling so much that I didn't go to bed. I didn't want to go to bed. And then I started listening to Stephen Fry reading the Harry Potter books. Every evening, every evening for the last four and a half years, I've put my headphones in and I've listened to that. And I know other people do the same thing. Okay. And what it does is, I know it so well that it is is something like a meditation. Yeah. Uh, And so now I know Harry Potter so well that you could ask me any question in this box. Can I go for it? And I will know the answer. Oh. But some, look, some of those are based on the film. Hey, hey. And the film so, doesn't count. So if it's a film question. Okay. A book question. Yeah, it's got to be a
1: book question. Okay. Have you pre. Uh, I don't know, there's still quite I a lot here. I haven't planned this. They're well worn. Okay. What make and model is Harry's first broom? It's a Nimbus 2000. It is a Nimbus 2000. Who buys the Nimbus 2000? Uh, Albus Dumbledore. But it's McGonagall he sends it to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of Hagrid's pet dragon? Norbert. Very good. You've passed the test. Thank you very much, Kit. Thank you, mate. Do I get to put that on the shelf? Where can put it? Right in the middle. In between Tesla and Einstein. There you go. Thank you very much. Thank you, mate. You've been listening to the Hidden 20%. If you're still knocking about, then let me introduce you to the band. First up, main man on the mic, host Ben Branson. Our wonderful producer, Bella Neal. And the man who'll probably try and cut this bit, video editor James Scriven. Not forgetting our wondrous theme tune by Jackson Greenberg. Lovers or haters, we want to know. So be sure to leave a review wherever you're listening. For the lovers amongst you, you'll find us on TikTok and Instagram at Hidden20Podcast or over on Hidden20.org where you can join our mailing list.